613. That's the number of commandments in the Old Testament according to the traditional rabbinic count. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to constantly try to keep track of 613 laws? I have a hard enough time keeping track of where I left my tea. Because of the complexity of the material, it became common for rabbis to try to summarize the law. And you can see how this might be helpful. For a good summary, something that gets at the heart of the law, would give you a simple principle to focus on, to organize your life around. And if it really did sum up the whole law, you could fulfill the requirements of each particular law by following this principle in all circumstances. In the century or two around Jesus, several rabbis offered their own summary of the law. One said, what you would not want done to you, do not do to your neighbor a negative version of the golden rule. Another thought that it all came down to the command to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus famously said that the law and the prophets can be summarized in the commands to love God and neighbor. For the Christian, this is of first importance, our guiding principle in all areas of life. But why is this? Out of all 613, why these two? The scribe in today's gospel reading comes to Jesus asking what the first commandment is. He wants Jesus to summarize the law. And Jesus responds by telling him the two most important commandments, as well as their proper order. The first, he says, is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. These commands are both in the Old Testament, but they come from different parts. The first is from our Old Testament reading this morning, Deuteronomy 6, and the second is from Leviticus 19. So why does Jesus bring these two passages together? I think there are at least two reasons. There was a common practice among rabbis to link passages that shared a common word or phrase, and then to read those passages in light of one another. And this is exactly what Jesus does here. The two passages he quotes are actually the only two in the Old Testament where the phrase, you shall love, appears, where we are commanded to love. The second reason Jesus links these passages is because together, they really do summarize the whole of the law. They get at the deeper intention behind the many individual commandments. Consider the paradigm of biblical morality in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. These commands are divided into two main parts. The first concerns our relationship with God, and the second our relationship with our neighbor. Jesus' summary follows this division but states it not negatively, like the thou shalt nots of the Ten Commandments, but in terms of the positive command to love. And this actually helps correct a common misconception. You sometimes hear people t speak of love in very soft and sentimental ways, as if the New Testament talk of love means that we don't have to worry about how we live, that we can simply set the law aside. 
In fact, quite the opposite is true. Love compels us to seek the good of others. Which of these, for instance, is the more difficult to put into practice? Do not do to others what you would not want done to you, or do to others what you would want done to you. Surely the positive command is far the more difficult. I think if you think about that for a second, you'll see. Not only does it include that all that the negative command requires, but it involves not just avoiding harmful actions, but actively pursuing the good of others. The interesting thing is that that positive command is just another way of saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think this is why Paul says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. If we are constantly watching our step, trying to keep track of all the ways we might step on someone's toes, we will just end up tripping over ourselves. But if we go, out of, if we go about our lives actively seeking to do the good to others, we will, as a matter of course, avoid doing them harm. Well, if our highest calling is to love God with our whole being, how do we do this? How do we keep first things first in our lives? This is where the passage from Deuteronomy is so instructive. Keep these words in your heart. How, you might ask. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Those phrases, at home and away, lie down and rise, those are merisms. They speak of the whole by mentioning two extremes, like night and day. In other words, we are to talk about God, God's law in all places and at all times. Our whole lives should be shaped by the story of Scripture, by the words and ways of God. They are to shape our actions as well as our thoughts. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead. And they are to govern what happens in the home and in the community. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. These are not just a few more commands to add to the already long list. They are the means by which we learn love of God and neighbor. I think we often fail to appreciate how formative our daily routines are. Annie Dillard was spot on when she wrote, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. A schedule defends from chaos and whim. It is a net for catching days. It is a scaffolding on which a worker can stand and labor with both hands at sections of time. Each day, we show by our routines what we value most in life, what our conception of the good life is, where our hearts are fixed. Christian community has rightly been called a school of love. It is the place where we learn by practicing the love of God and neighbor. For most of us, the two Christian communities that we participate in are church life and home life. The weekly routine of coming to church, where we're shaped by worship, formation, fellowship, and service, is absolutely indispensable. 
but the most significant progress takes place the other six days of the week when we have to live out our faith in the mundane realities of daily life. Church is like school, where we learn our lessons. Home is where we have homework to do, where we have to work out our lessons in, the, in community with others. Now, it's, it's easy to say we love our neighbor. Much harder to show that love when your neighbor ignores you or slights you, or when she drops her toy into the potty again. But those are the holy moments, the crucibles in which our faith is put to the test, and we learn by practicing the love of God and neighbor, by honoring God in our actions and loving the neighbors God has placed in our midst. It's interesting how this passage from Mark ends. The scribe essentially pats Jesus on the back for giving a good answer to his question. But then Jesus turns the tables on him. You are not far from the kingdom of God. The scribe came to judge Jesus on a point of law. Jesus ends up being the judge of a much weightier matter, the central purpose of his life and ours. One reason I think we don't find out what the scribe does next is because we are supposed to see ourselves in the scribe. And it's up to us to decide how our story will end. Like the, the scribe, we hear Jesus summarize the moral teaching of Scripture in the command to love God and neighbor. More than that, we see Jesus give expression to that wholehearted love by laying down his life for those who made themselves his enemies, but whom he calls his friends. And the question is, will this love of God for us call forth in us an answering love. May we who re recognize in Jesus the perfect expression of this great commandment keep these words in our hearts until they overflow in every area of our lives with that same love of God and neighbor, which is the mark of the kingdom of God among us.